Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1 to 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to, this, to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent. I am as sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So last week, if you were here, you'll recall Pastor Josh ended um, the, the story of the life of Joseph. And, and what we saw with the life of Joseph was that God had, first of all, called an individual with Abram, who became Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob. So he calls an individual, then, then he establishes a family. And then we see with Joseph... At the end of Joseph's life, now this, this family is becoming a nation. Becoming a nation. All of, this, all of this is the thread that we've been looking at through this series called Living Stones. God's redemptive plan for humanity. And one of the verses that Josh has mentioned last week was in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, but you are... You are, that is, if you are in Christ, 
us followers of Jesus, the body of Christ, he's speaking to the church as individuals, but also corporately. He says, you, you're a chosen race. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. That's you. That's me. That's us. A holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim. Who? Who is to proclaim? You, us, you and I, all of us are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, let's be honest. Let's be real. Let's be transparent. If you in your heart of hearts are honest, there are many times, probably most times for some of you, that you ask the question, who am I that I should do that? Who am I that I should be that? Who am I that God would expect me to be able to do that? You look in the mirror, you don't see someone who radiates holiness necessarily. You don't look in the mirror, you don't see someone who, who is confident to proclaim the excellencies of, of Christ who died for you and rose again. And so you shrink back and you're timid. See, the wrong question, see, the wrong question, it's the question that I often ask, it's the question that you often ask, it's the question that we often ask. The wrong question is, who am I? The right question, the question we should be asking is, God, who are you? Because if we get that question down, and if we understand who the God who is calling us into being, in, into a new creation, if we understand who that God is, then we won't need to ask the question, who am I? Because we'll know who we are. Who we are is rooted in who he is and who he has called us to be. So we're going to look at the call of Moses and the sermon title is, Who Are You? We're going to look at four things this morning. First of all, the calling. God comes to Moses and calls him, gives him a purpose, calls him to be holy, calls him to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called him. Then we're going to look at Moses' objection, Who am I? And we're going to see why Moses would ask that question and why, honestly, you and I tend to ask the same question that Moses does. Then we're going to see the caller, the focus goes from who Moses is and the question of his own identity to the question of who is this one whom is calling him? Who shall I say is sending me? And then we're going to take a look at the end, the choice, the choice that you and I, all of us as individuals have to make, whether we are going to trust this caller or whether or not we are not faith and unbelief. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll get started. Father, we come to you in humble dependence. We, like Moses, are too preoccupied with ourselves, our failures, our inabilities, our past, things that have been done to us, things that we have done which we are not proud of. And we look at your call for us to be a holy people, a holy nation, to proclaim your excellencies. And we just think it's kind of a joke. We don't see there's any way that we could possibly be who you call us to be. So, Father, would you lift our eyes, uh, would you lift our heads to look towards you 
the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you open our eyes and open our hearts to embrace you as the great I am? And Father, help us to see ourselves as you have recreated us to be in Christ. Father, help me to preach and teach this morning in such a way that Jesus is honored and that we are encouraged to hope in you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first of all, the calling. The calling. Let me give you some context. So last week, as Pastor Josh ended up Genesis, we see that that Joseph had gone into Egypt. He had been used by God to deliver an entire people, not only his own family from famine, but the Egyptian people and the region in general. So what had happened is this, this family, this, this Hebrew family, Jacob's family, after, after, during the famine, Joseph brought them all down into Egypt. He brought them all down into Egypt and they stayed there. They stayed there. And, and furthermore, what God did was, as, 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 they, as they decided where they were going to live, Joseph told them, live in Goshen. Live in Goshen. And he said, and he said, this, to, he said this to his family. For the Egyptians despise, despise shepherds. So Goshen became a region where, where the shepherds lived. And, and what happened is this family, this, this family of about 70 people over 400 years became a nation. So Egypt became the incubator where this nation grew. And this nation of Hebrews did not intermix with the Egyptians. Why? Because the Egyptians despised shepherds. So this, in a, if they would have stayed in Canaan, the Canaanites intermarried. They wanted to take them as their wives and their husbands. And so their faith would have been polluted. But they stayed there in this incubator. So 400 years has grown, gone by. And now you have this nation within a nation. Well, that is problematic for the host nation. There arose a Pharaoh who did not remember or know Joseph. And this Pharaoh begins to persecute and oppress the Hebrew people. So much so that he says to his people and his advisors that this nation within a nation is becoming too numerous. Our enemies, they may side with our enemies. And so we need to, we need to regulate the population. So they demanded that all the Hebrew children that were male, they would be immediately killed. They would be immediately killed. And what we see in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 is the birth story of Moses. Most of you are familiar with this. Moses is born. Moses is placed in a basket, a little ark. He's placed in the Nile. His sister follows along the bank and watches. And then this little basket, this little ark finds its way to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter takes the child and lo and behold, his little sister pops out of the reeds and she says, would you like me to find a mother to nurse this little baby? And she says, yes, please, would you do that? That would be awesome. And so Moses is taken back to his mother and nurses him for three years until he is weaned. And then Moses is raised in the household of Pharaoh until he comes of age. He learns his family of origin. He learns his history and he rejects his, the, the, the rights that he has as, a, as an Egyptian citizen, as an Egyptian, as Egyptian royalty. And he identifies himself with his people, the oppressed people of Israel. 
And during this time, he sees a, an Egyptian oppressing uh, the people, beating a Hebrew slave. And so he takes matters into his own hands and he kills this Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. We learned later in, in the New Testament that by doing so, he was thinking, he was thinking that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, would see, see this young, talented, royal, uh, royal Egyptian now embracing his Hebrew roots, and they would come to his side and they would rebel, and he would cast off the yoke of the Egyptian oppressors. And so the next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting amongst themselves. And he says, why are you doing this? Why are you quarreling? And they turn to him and say, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And all of a sudden, he becomes self-conscious and he's aware that, oh, the secret's out. They know this. Perhaps Pharaoh knows. Pharaoh does know. And now Moses is a marked man. And Pharaoh wants him dead. So what happens next? He flees. He flees to a barren land to Midian. He flees when he's 40, and we pick up the story 40 years later. Moses is an 80-year-old man. He is tending not his own sheep. See, his, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Joseph, or uh, not Joseph, uh, his, his, uh, the patriarch Joseph and, and Jacob, they were wealthy men. They had countless herds of flocks. Not so. Not so with, with Moses. He doesn't have any sheep. He's tending his father's sheep. He doesn't have any money. He's, he's just a son-in-law, an 80-year-old son-in-law, an 80-year-old son-in-law. So that's where we pick it up. So let's take a look. Moses encounters God, Genesis, or rather Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Moses keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he held this flock to the west side of the wilderness. And God, the angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So Moses encounters this God, the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, then Moses hears God's intentions. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 9. 7 and 9. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. Verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good land a land flowing with milk and honey. So God sees the afflictions. He hears the afflictions. He knows of the afflictions. And he's telling Moses, I am here to address these, these afflictions. I am going to deliver my people. So far, so good. And then God calls Moses. God calls Moses. Verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
That's the calling. Now, this is something that I think 40 years earlier, if Moses would have heard, he would have embraced. He would have had the self-confidence, self-confidence to, to embrace this. Yes, I'm your man. Come, now I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out. Now, if you look back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the calling for us corporately is similar. So God has called us to be a holy nation, a royal people. People are called according to his purpose to proclaim his excellencies in a world that doesn't give a rip or doesn't care about the excellencies of Christ. That's what you and I are called to. So there's a similar calling on the call of Moses as an individual and the call of us corporately as individual followers of Christ. I've called you. I hear the groaning of the people of the world. I see the oppression due to sin. I see those shackled by their own sin. I see this. I want to be their liberator. And I'm calling you, body of Christ, to proclaim my excellencies. And how does Moses respond? And how do we often respond? We respond with this question. Moses responds with this question. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, think about this. The scripture says in Leviticus chapter 19, and Peter repeats it in 1 Peter chapter 1, be holy as I am holy, declares the Lord. There you go. That's all you have to do. Just be holy. Be perfect. Proclaim his excellencies. Enter into a world that doesn't want to hear about Christ and proclaim Christ. Oh, and be holy. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you look in the mirror and you see, who am I that I should be holy? It sounds presumptuous to even insinuate that I might be able to do any of the things that God asked me to do. I mean, think about it. What if you drove by the marquee and you saw on the church sign, Grace Community Church, We equip people to do everything God commands. How many of you would think that that's presumptuous for a church to put on their marquee? Just an honest raise of hand. How many of you think, that sounds presumptuous? Any of you? Well, what do you think a church is supposed to do? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I command? That's not presumptuous. That's assumed. Why do we think it's presumptuous? Because we ask the question, God, who am I that you should call me to be holy? Do you know who I am? By the way, never ask God that question. He knows exactly who you are. Why do we do that? The objection is based on our brokenness. It's based on our humanness, our sinfulness in who we are in Adam. Not who we are in Christ, but who we are as human beings. Broken children of our forefathers. In chapter 4, verse 1, you can take a look here, just I'll highlight it. Moses said, But behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say, The Lord did not appear to you. There's a sense in which Moses is like, They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. When he was young and influential, 40 years ago, when he was young and influential, they rejected his, his, his call to, to mobilize and cast off the yoke of Pharaoh. Well, 
That was when he was influential. Do you know who he influences now? Sheep. 40 years. 40 years he's been tending sheep. He's no longer in the courtyard of of Pharaoh. He's no longer a leader. He's no longer powerful. He's a shepherd of someone else's livestock. And now he's old and obscure. Oh, and he has skeletons in his closet. Only it's not a closet. There's skeletons in the sand. Here's here's the truth. You, You know this. We know this. You look at who you are. And for many of you, there are things that you have done. You have your own skeletons in the closet. You have your own Egyptians in the sand that you've buried, if you will. Things which you are ashamed of. Things which you are guilty of. And, and, and you, you're afraid. You're afraid to speak because once you speak, once you, once you become obedient, those things might become known. And you look back and you're like, I can't do the things God wants me to do because of who I am. And it's not just things that you have done. It's also things that have been done to you. There are broken people here who have been wounded and who have been hurt and who have been abused. And you carry shame and you carry guilt and you look in the mirror and you say, I could never be what God has called me to be because of what has been done to me and because of what I have done. And you look at your past And you look at your present and you've declared to yourself, the future that God wants for me cannot be mine. It's not reality, at least not for me. Who am I? Who am I? And then you look at all the things you can't do. You look at all the facts that I don't have this gift. I don't have that gift. Moses in chapter four, verse 10, he says, I I'm not eloquent of speech. I can't get two words together without sounding like a buffoon. And you want me to be the one that goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go? Please send someone else. Every single one of us experiences this self-loathing, this self-doubt at times. You know what? Strike that from the record. That's not entirely true. When we're young and confident like Moses was in his 30s and 40s, we don't generally experience that until we get brought to our knees and find out that, you know what? There's some skeletons in my closet and I've tried and I've failed. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor... I feel like an absolute poser. Unlike Moses, I've never said to God, I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm confident there, but everywhere else, I'm not a good leader. I don't know how to do this. Why am I doing this? I'm a poser. I say those things to myself. You've heard me say it in the idiot phrase. I've used that over the years. I've repented of that. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's a way of saying to God, I'm an idiot. Why, who am I that you should choose me? And by doing so, I declare to the great I am that the individual that he made, that he fashioned, that he called, that he infused with the Holy Spirit can't do what he said I can do. 
And I'm suspicious that every single person sitting in this auditorium feels like a poser too, at least at times. And so we look at the commands of God, love your neighbors yourself and make disciples of, of, of all nations and, and be holy as I am holy. And we think it's a good idea, but we, and we sort of aspire to it, but we say that we can't do it because we're idiots. We can't do it because we're posers. We can't do it because we're not gifted enough. And, and, and all of this focus on me and my abilities or the lack thereof or the skeletons in my closet or the things that have been done to me and the things that I have done are all reasons that we say, I can't and I dare not try. In fact, I have tried and I've failed. Just like Moses. It's the wrong question. The wrong question is not, or the, the, the question is not, who am I that I should do this? The question is, God, who are you? Who is the one who is calling me? Who's the one who's fashioned me, called me, equipped me, and commanding me? Who are you? That's the question. So to answer Moses' question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? The first thing God says to him is, I will be with you. This shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you were brought to the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing that God says. I will be with you. Relax, Moses. I'm not sending you as an emissary without my personal presence and my power. You're not simply a representative. You are that, but you are much more. I will be with you. I'm not sending you away. I'm going with, but I'm going to use you. You are going to be my spokesman. You're going to be my ambassador. And you and I are called to be ambassadors of Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Every single person here is called to be an ambassador of Christ, but you don't go alone. He says, I will go with you. Jesus said, I am going away to his disciples and I am with you now. And I'm going to send you another, the Holy spirit, the wonderful counselor. And he is with you now. And he's going to be in you. And when he tells his disciples to go and make disciples, he says, behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said to them, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, just a little fun fact. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament and ever, you ever see the word Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps, not L lowercase O-R-D. When you see it in uppercase, that's always referring to this name. 
In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Yahweh is a, is a Hebrew representation of the same, same phrase, only it's in second person. He is who he is. That, so whenever you see Lord, all caps, that's what it says. That's his name. That's his name. The Lord. I am who I am. Now, there's some deep waters here. This refers to the aseity of God. It's, it's God's absolute self-sufficiency. It's the self-existence of God. God depends on nothing and everything depends on him. Here's, here's what he's saying. He says, Moses, okay, I know you're scared. I know you're looking at yourself and you're navel gazing and you're saying, who am I that I should do this? That's the wrong focus. You need to focus on who I am. Do you want, do you want who I am? I am. That's who I am. There was never a time I didn't exist. There was never a time I didn't exist. There's never going to be a time when I cease to exist. When there was nothing in the universe, I spoke, and then the universe was. When there was nothing but clay and dirt, I fashioned that clay and dirt, and I breathed my spirit into that, and I declared to humanity, I'm creating you in my very image. Now bear my likeness. Rule and reign over creation. Increase my glory. I say to things that are not, and they are. I speak, and it becomes so. Nothing can hinder my will and nothing can hinder my purpose. It's because I am who I am. I am not dependent on you. I am not dependent on Jacob. I was not dependent upon Abraham and I was not dependent upon Adam. And I shall not depend upon David or Solomon or Joseph or Mary. But I am and I will be forever. And I will accomplish my purpose. The wrong question is who am I? The right question is who is God? And when we are settled on who he is, then we can confidently, not self-confidently, but Christ-confidently walk in obedience to him. God essentially says to Moses... I am who I am, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I am going to do it through you. I am who I am, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it through you. I want you to just jump ahead. We won't cover all of it, but here's a few verses. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17. Nope, I'm sorry. That's chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. And I promise that I will bring you up out of affliction. Verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand to strike Egypt with the wonders that I will do in it. Verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor. And any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Do you notice the theme here? Moses, you're not going to do jack, but I'm going to do it all, but you're going to be there. I'm going to do this because I am who I am. And I am calling you to be who I've called you to be. The problem 
is that Moses, like you and I, in this high and holy calling, we trip up and we get to looking at our own failures and our own faults and our own, our own inadequacies, and we, we're no longer setting our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are looking at our feet. We are looking at our feet, and we're looking at our failures, and we're looking at our limitations, and we're forgetting who he is and who he has called us to be in him. And he has called us to be holy, for he is holy. And yes, we sin and fall short of the glory of God. So did Moses. But God said, I'm going to be with you. I will do this. Centuries later, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, speaking to a crowd, speaking to the Pharisees, said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide, if you abide in my word, if you trust me, if you trust me, you're truly my disciples. That is, you're truly my followers. You're truly my students. And you'll know the truth, and and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that you will become free? And, and, and there begins a dialogue from here. And Jesus, he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, how many of you sin from time to time? Right? So what Jesus is saying, if you're sin, you're born in sin, you're a slave to sin. What he's saying, yeah, I know you're physical descendants of Abraham, but your lifestyle demonstrates, your choices demonstrate that you are in shackles. You're in bondage. There is a ruler and it's not Pharaoh. It's the prince of the power of the air. And you're in bondage and you do things that you're ashamed of. Things have been done to you which bring you shame. And God calls you to be free and you're not free. And Jesus is saying, but I I can set you free. I can set you free. And there's some some banter back and forth. The the Pharisees are going to have none of this. Who are you to say that, 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 that Abraham saw your day and rejoiced? Who are you to say that, that Abraham saw your day and rejoiced? That's the question they asked Jesus. And in verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50, year old, 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself. Why did they pick up stones to throw at him? These are Jews. Why did they pick up stones to throw at him? Because they know the significance of what Jesus said. Do you know what he just said? I am who I am. He's saying, I was there with Moses at the bush. I was there with Abraham when the smoking pot went through the cut up pieces. Before Abraham was, I am. So God, Christ calls us to follow him. And he says, I'll set you free. And you say, but who am I that I should walk in freedom? Wrong question. The question is, Jesus, who are you? Jesus says, I am that I am. And when I call something to be, I make it so. So in Christ, 
Who am I? I'm not an idiot. I'm not a poser. And neither are you. Who am I? Who are you? You are loved. You are forgiven. That Egyptian you buried in the sand, Jesus knows about that. And he atoned for that sin. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which marks you for the day of redemption. You are anointed by that same Holy Spirit who lives within you. You are holy. That means you have been set apart. You have been called and you've been declared by God to be his possession, to be used for his glory. You are gifted because God has gifted you. You may not know what that gift is, but that is a fact. You are righteous. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son and he rejoices in your being. You are significant. You are not worthless. Your life has purpose. It has meaning. You are a citizen of heaven. You are redeemed. You have been ransomed. You have been set free. You are complete. You are whole. You are perfect. You are a friend of Jesus. You are a work of God and you are God's treasured possession and you're free. That's who you are. How do I know? How can I say that with such authority, such confidence? Because Jesus is the I am. And when he says something is so, he brings it into being. Everything that he has said about you, about me, he brings to fruition. He brings into realization. And our part is to rest in who he says us to be. I don't often do this, but I want to make known a resource to you. We have some copies on the resource shelf. This is a book by Rankin Wilborn called Our Union with Christ. The Way to Know and Enjoy God. This book is about who we are in Christ. You're not an idiot. You're not a poser. You're not a failure. You're not stupid. You're not worthless. You're not dumb. You're not insignificant. You are who God says you are in Christ. But here's the reality. I've been preaching since 1998 and it's only been recent that I have let go of the moniker idiot. If you would have challenged me five years ago, Brooks, why do you always call yourself an idiot? I would have looked at you and said, well, you're an idiot for suggesting I'm not an idiot. I would have entered into a debate with you on why I have the right to call myself an idiot. And I would have won because that's what I want to do. I want to win. I would have won the argument and lost the war because it's only been recently that I've been set free from, from limiting myself by, by living with this, this 
this false perception of myself. So why am I saying all this? Because there's a good chance you probably do the same thing. So I want to encourage you to, to read this and go deep and embrace the God who declares you to be set free and embrace who he says you are. I know Alcoholics Anonymous has done some great things for people, but I dislike the tendency of a sober alcoholic, someone to say, hi, I'm Brooks and and I'm an alcoholic. No, you are a child of the living God who once struggled with addiction. And you may struggle with it now, but that's not your identity. You are not a sexual addict. You are not homosexual. You are not transgendered. You are not this, that, or whatever you think defines you. If you are in Christ, you are a child of the living God. And he has set you free. So stop asking the question, who am I that I should follow you? And lift your eyes towards the author and perfecter of your faith and be convinced on who he is. And then in obedience, take a step. So the choice comes down to faith or unbelief. It begins with faith. Are you in Christ? I don't know if you are or not. How do you become in Christ? You repent of your sins. You believe. You cry out to the Lord. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on him? It just simply means to say, Lord Jesus, I got Egyptians in the sand. I got skeletons in my closet. There's things I have done. There have things that have been done to me. And I feel shame. I feel guilt. And Jesus will say to you, I am the lifter of your shame. I am the absolver of your guilt. I want to be your friend and I will be your savior. And when you call on him, he will save you. And he will dwell within you. And he will redeem in you. So trust him. Repent of your sins and be baptized in his name. What does that mean to be baptized in his name? It means to declare to the world that you are now a follower of Christ. And your baptism symbolizes your union with him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And for those who have already begun to follow Christ, it continues with faith. Be who God says you are, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, dearly beloved, proclaimers of his excellency. And recognize that when you hear those voices chirp in your ear, sometimes there are other people. Sometimes they're the very people that we love or say love us. And they tell us things about our limitations and about who we are. You're an idiot. You're worthless. You're this, you're that. And sometimes, you know, honestly, it's our own voice. But the author of those people and the author of our own voice that tells us who we are in a limiting factor is the accuser, the prince of the power of the air. And we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with him. And that's why we need to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of truth. So that we continue by faith to walk in faith to remember who he is. 
So as we close this morning, if, if you need to learn more about, maybe you have a question about baptism. Maybe you have a question about what it means to be involved. You can go to learning about grace or you want to receive Christ. You can go to learn about grace. There, there'll be a, that'll guide you through how to, uh, how to let us know if you have questions or if you want to receive Christ as your savior. Embrace your new identity with Christ. Abide, connect, connect. Um, if you're interested in helping, prayer requests, giving, whatever, whatever your next step in this journey of faith, whatever your next step in this journey of faith, please let us know. There are also cards in the back. If you're, you're not into the, the, uh, the digital versions, you can let us know that way. And as we close the service, as always, want to let you know if you have prayer requests, if you feel you're called to do something you're just not equipped to do, if there's a burden that you're carrying, if there's shame that needs lifted or guilt that needs absolved, We'd love to pray with you. Or if you're hurting physically or a loved one's hurting physically, we would love to pray with you. So as we stand and close in prayer, Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have called us to be so much more than we currently are or currently realize we are. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to believe. Lord, we lift our eyes to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you give us the confidence, not the self-confidence, but the confidence in Christ, in your declarative word, that we are indeed redeemed, loved, forgiven, chosen, royal, holy, so that we might follow you. Father, we love you. Thank you. Do the work in us that you have called us to do so that we can bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go in grace. We'll see you.